Hi and welcome to a very special edition of How to PhD. In this episode, we'll be sharing our experiences of how we found our PhD positions and how you can go about doing the same. Hello and welcome back to How to PhD, to this special edition of How to PhD. Uh, my name is Aaron O'Lahannon and I'm joined as ever by my co-host Julia. Hi. And I guess today's kind of special uh, episode was sort of born really out of listener feedback and the fact that there were quite a few people who got in touch with us who were interested in doing a PhD, who kind of knew that this might be something that they wanted to pursue, but they had no idea one, whether they were sort of qualified to do a PhD and what, what mm. you need to do one. Um, and then, of course, they also had questions around kind of the practical aspect of how do you find a PhD position, right? How do you go about um, creating something like this or or applying to something like this? Uh, and I think this episode, really, we decided, you know, what, let's let's take a bit of time to sort of share a bit of our experience and kind of how we came to doing the PhD and how we ended up in the position that we did um, and sort of share that and hopefully you guys can sort of take away and, and, and learn something from, from how we did things. Yeah, exactly. In my undergrads, I did something very different. I did music in my undergrads. I studied the clarinet and I want to become a musician, professional musician, playing in an orchestra. But then I think over time, I realized that this was not my dream anymore. And um, I decided I want to do something different. So I came to the UK to did a, do a master's in management at work business school and I really loved like studying there I enjoyed the experience and I really wanted to stay <laughs> realized I want to stay longer at university and um, learn more study more and then so that's where where the kind of starting point was, was thinking oh a PhD might be a great idea but um, I didn't have really a topic or an idea for research that I wanted to do. And also I didn't know a lot of academics. I wasn't really confident enough, I think, at that point as well to approach them, to ask them whether they'd like to be my supervisors. So instead, then what I became aware of is that you can also find PhD positions that are already kind of where the topic is determined, the funding and the supervisors. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, for me, that's, that's easier to apply for something that's already out there than to come up with my, my own kind of idea. And I think you also applied for a PhD position, but your path was very, very different. Yeah, I mean, I think it's worth just commenting that, you know, the fact that you decided to change career from, you know, music to something completely different. It was incredibly brave. I mean, that's well I mean that kind of decision I mean that was must have been quite a sort of nerve-wracking moment yeah it was a really big decision but I yeah I'd like to encourage everyone who's thinking about a career a changing yeah. career path it can be really scary I think because you I always had this this idea I'm gonna do this um, this was my dream and then suddenly I realized that was not my dream anymore and I think yeah it can be a really scary thing but then um yeah, starting or then when I start my master's, I just felt, okay, I found my place now. I'm much mm. happier now. I'm enjoying it. I want to do more like that. And yeah, I'm so happy how it all came yeah. about in the end. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so I mean, yeah, so to give a bit of background into myself um, and, you know, uh, yeah, we did talk a little bit about this in, in sort of episode one. But yeah, I came from a sort of technical engineering background. Right. This mm -hmm. was the, the degree that I did was uh, manufacturing engineering. Uh, but I always sort of knew that I wanted to do something in user research and kind of um, more design led topics. Mm -hmm. 
And so, yeah, I, I did internships at the university at, at, at different user research departments and got a little bit of experience that way, um, but nothing formal, right? This was all kind of almost self-taught experience. Mm. And uh, when I came to the end of the uh, degree, someone I knew from the internship said, you know, hey, look, there's this uh, PhD position that's opened up. It's advertised on jobs.ac.uk um, and you can just go ahead and, and, and apply to it. And as as you, uh, mm-hmm. Julia, it, it was very much a fully funded um, kind of pre-packaged uh, oven baked mm. position you know the, yeah. the topic was set and and that was it I kind of applied and I was successful and I, I came into this topic of, of automated vehicles but again you know as you pointed out it was not my it was not my original background mm, mm. but you so you found out by word of mouth basically by someone yeah, essentially, but you knew yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think what we want to really encourage our listeners um, is that you do not have to have loads of research experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know you did like a kind of research project as part of your master's or your dissertation, I think. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, a little bit. Of course, yeah, a little bit of research experience through the master's. Mm -hmm. um, But again, not in user research. Um, And of course, yeah, through the internships, nothing on the scale of like a full kind of doctorate mm. or anything yeah. like that yeah and in yeah. my case it was really that i didn't have any research experience really so in my mm. master's the dissertation that we had to write first of all was quite short <laughs> yeah. and also yeah it was not a research project so i didn't have uh yeah let's put on that but so that really shows i think that there are like many many different paths to a phd and yeah you don't have to yeah, I think a lot of people think, oh, you probably have to have loads of experience to get it. But there are these positions, PhD positions, um, that are quite open for people from different backgrounds yeah. and um, without much research experience. That's right. Yeah. And I think I think then, you know, if you, you know, first off, take that. And, and you know, if you think that this is something you want to do, have the confidence to believe that you probably do have the skills to mm. do it. Right. And it's really just a case of finding these opportunities and that's uh, and that's the big question how do you find them and that's what we're going to talk about next so how do you go about actually finding phd opportunities and as we said uh, near the beginning of the show you know we both use jobs.ac.uk this is uh, a uk-based website but i believe jobs has kind of uh, country-specific versions of their website. Um, I certainly know there's one for Ireland, I think. Mm. Um, and of course, the other one is called findaphd.com. So both two very well-established uh, websites. And the chances are, if there's something that's on jobs.ac.uk, it will probably also be advertised on mm. Find a PhD. Yeah. Um, but I think if you have, for example, an idea as well, like a research idea that you're really passionate about, um, then also be brave and just try contact research at universities directly. Because I think that might, I think academics are generally always like open and happy to hear ideas from students that are keen and then that might help you out like to sort out um, funding for that or they have at least an idea and I think yeah try that that's right yeah and um, you know again so you can contact them directly and again if you're using these websites I think another nice feature that just forgot to mention was the fact that they're very upfront on these kind of uh, websites and these job postings whether the position is funded or unfunded Mm -hmm. Um, so in our case it was they were both 
100% fully funded. Um, But, you know, I think we just went on this afternoon, had a quick look, and we found that there were a few that were unfunded as well. um, Mm. And they do make that very clear. So, again, it's a very nice tool to have to be able to see on a kind of consistent standardized level what funding is out there and and what you can potentially apply for. and then, of course, I guess, you know, you know, following on from that, if it is fully funded, right, then it's kind of happy days. You apply to it as a job. Um, and what that means is that, you know, you'll have your tuition fees covered, which is essentially the fees that you pay to the university. But then you'll probably get a stipend as well. So essentially a salary, um, which, again, kind of implies that it's more of a kind of job application. Mm. Um and yeah. then I guess the alternative then is if you have to, if it's unfunded and you have to find funding yourself, um, again, findaphd.com, it, it has quite a lot of uh, advice on that, doesn't it? Yeah, I think they have really good resources where you can find different funding opportunities because I think, especially, yeah, in my case as well, I had, as I said, I've done a bachelor already, I had a master's already, I thought I have to start <laughs> making some money a- can't go on and like yeah. have a fully um, or self-fund my PhD, yeah. that's, it's crazy i mean great if some people can do that but i think for the majority um, of people that doesn't work and um, so yeah really have a look there are loads of funding opportunities yeah and i think just you know very basic tip is that you can try googling your like the university's name plus mm. funding right and so we did this for warwick and we put warwick and funding um, and we found like a bunch of things that you can apply to. Um, and then of course, yeah, we, we sort of touched on this aspect of tuition fees versus stipend, you know, pay attention to that. Um, you know, this is something that, you know, could be, you know, quite clear yeah. uh, or quite, could, as you said, Julia, quite an important part of, of, uh, of which PhDs opportunities that you apply to. Yeah. Um, I and think, then, yeah, oh, sorry. sorry no, no, go ahead. Go <laughs> no, ahead. I think another point, I think a lot of people are often, um, put off when thinking about a PhD or people who are thinking about doing it and one thing they're concerned about is the length of the PhD so I think mm, oh my god yeah. it's going to take like six years or something until you can get your um, doctorate but actually it, it varies a lot doesn't it so I think yeah. um, yours was was a four years yeah it was it, it was four years bang on so it had to be it couldn't be any okay. less it was it had to be four years okay yeah. yeah whereas mine was only three years um and i know a lot of other phd students that had three and a half years of funding so it doesn't have to be that endless thing but of course you can do um your phd as well full-time but they're also half or part-time phd yeah. so if you for example want to continue working a little bit half time and then um, do the phd on the side of course that will i guess lengthen the yeah, PhD. But, but I, I yeah, think this is one of the kind of beauties of doing a PhD is this kind of flexibility to kind of mm. work how you want. And yeah, I think, you know, know what you want and, and don't be afraid to communicate that in terms of, you know, what you want from the kind yeah. of working relationship. And now, of course, you know, and, and, you know, just touching on that point about length and the reason why mine was four years and it had to be that was very much based on the type of funding, right? Mm. So it was a fully funded position. And even within that, there's a kind of subcategorization of that funding, which is uh, industry and kind of more academic or governmental sources of funding. Mm. Um, and so in my case, it was industry funded, right? Mm. And so I was funded by Jaguar Land Rover. Um, so obviously they were interested in funding some doctorate students so that they can get or expand the amount of research that they're doing beyond what's happening within the company. Mm. And so there's a number of advantages to this, right? If you're industry funded, you get to work on real world problems, right? These are things that 
not to say that if you're not working with industry, it's not a real world problem, but um, I guess perhaps the other way to say it is that it's a problem that has a very clear application or at least an industrial application. Um, and it gives you this advantage that you can say that you worked with a company on your mm. CV, right? I guess especially if you want to go into industry later, it looks great on your CV, it, I guess, exactly. if you've worked with industry. Yeah, ex- exactly that. Mm. Yeah, because if you want to go into industry later, you can say that, you know, I worked for Jaguar Land Rover, mm. essentially. Uh, and then, of course, on a kind of monetary level, that there is this boosted stipend usually. So you usually get paid a little bit more than uh, than a typical PhD. Um, and then, of course, you have the chance to use company resources, right? So Jaguar uh, Land Rover, they had a lot of uh, kind of fancy buildings. They had a lot of staff members who had kind of all sorts of experience. Um, and they had simulators and testing mm. equipment, all this stuff that you know, yeah. as a student working with them, you kind of have access to. But are there any downsides, would you say, to um, doing a PhD oh, yeah. in industry? Yes, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, I can speak from you know, personal experience. <laughs> I guess it comes down to really um, the goals of academia and industry are, are very, very different. Um, and they can be very tricky to balance. So, you know, the kind of timescales that we're talking about in industry research is very much kind of, particularly within the corporation, you know, they're doing bits of research within a month or two months. It's very, mm-hmm. very quick turnarounds. Um, and of course, things have to be highly focused. So there isn't really scope to do something that might be a little bit more exploratory, right? Mm-hmm. That might be uh, where there's not a, a clear result at the end. Um, whereas in academia, you know, that's exactly what you want. You want kind of you know, future thinking, like really kind of groundbreaking research that, that, you know, might not work out, right? Mm, there's, the, mm. there's slightly more risk and, and that doesn't quite work with the industry. And so many, many times, you know, I butted heads with uh, people in industry or in my sponsorship because, you know, things are, they wanted things that they, they knew would be applicable. Mm. Um, and of course that then translates to publishing as well you know and in my case it was okay they were a bit more kind of open about publishing uh, but mm. still you know every paper I wrote had to go through their kind of PR and uh, IP approval process yeah. so you know if I'm writing a conference paper no. and the conference deadline's coming up I would have to plan in almost two months before oh, to gosh. make sure yeah. that it went to their intellectual mm. property de- department mm. and many many times like there would be a slight word so I'll give a good example I had written in my uh, introduction that automated vehicles might be dangerous or they might cause dangerous situations. And they did not like the word dangerous Mm. at all. They wanted to change that. I think we changed it to challenging, right? Mm. Um, And so this is, these are the kinds of, you know, you might have a little bit less freedom. um, And so there is, you know, I guess these kinds of disadvantages that sort of come up with with working with the Mm. industry. Yeah, I think in my case, I was funded by um, Birmingham's um, UHB, so the University Hospitals in Birmingham. So it was basically NHS money that was funded from. And I think, yeah, they gave me or I knew that there was a topic that I had to explore in my research. It was all about pharmacy-based sector and reproductive health services. Um, But I had a lot of freedom or it was completely up to me basically how to design my research. So they didn't yeah, they didn't really <laughs> tell me what to do. I had a lot of freedom and I didn't feel that like they were, um, yeah, impacting or disagreeing mm, with me. Yeah. Or, and I didn't have to show them what I wanted to publish before, which was quite nice. That's interesting. Um, actually, so it's yeah. a little bit of a mixture because it was governmental money, of course. But um, yeah, I still had a lot of, of freedom. That's right. Yeah. And um, so I think, you know, these are the 
these are the pros and cons right mm. of having academic funding versus industry funding in the end you know again you know look at use these websites use find a phd use jobs.ac.uk and you know of course you know part of that um process is applying to the job and through applying you can actually get a lot of questions answered um which may help solve whether you should go for one type of funding or the other uh, and that's what we're going to talk about next So as I said, you know, the, the application process um, can actually reveal a lot of details, right? And it can answer a lot of these questions. Uh, and an interesting or a, a useful tip is that nearly all of these positions will always have some kind of contact person on there, professor mm. um, or a research, associate professor uh, who will be in charge of that funding. And you can actually get in touch with them directly you know, before you apply. And that's exactly what you did, right, Julia? Yeah, because I think I was quite unsure. I couldn't believe when I looked at the PhD position that you didn't have to have like a master's in that field and I just wanted to make sure I think that um, I could really um, I was eligible to apply there and I wanted to find out a bit more about the research so I just got in contact and that was the main um, supervisor of that project and he then emailed me back and said like yeah let's let's have a um, like chat about it and we had a Skype call then probably nowadays will be on Teams or Zoom. <laughs> but yeah, it was yeah, a Skype call. And it was actually quite funny because I was staying at my grandma at this time. And my yeah. grandma doesn't have very well, um, very good uh, Wi-Fi connection. So I had to go into her basement. <laughs> um, I remember- Just to get close to the route. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to have a, the best internet connection um, possible with all this stuff from the basement and background. But yeah, so we had a Skype call and- um, he said that I would like kind of strengthen my um, application if I would write a research proposal and that's what I did. I then um, started um, yeah, getting a little proposal mm. of what I would do in the PhD. I did it very different in the end but yeah <laughs> it was nice to kind of start thinking about the area and I think it was also a very good test for me to know whether I'd like to do that research on, on that topic for three years. Um, yeah, I think this is a really, uh, really useful story because, you know, one, one having that Skype call with the supervisor or your potential supervisor, you know, as we talked about in episode two with, you know, how to supervise E, you know, that relationship is absolutely crucial. And mm -hmm. so, you know, before you've even applied, before you're actually in the PhD, you're, you're getting used to what a meeting's like, you know, how they yeah. like as a person. Yeah, that's true. That's something you can't, you know, pick That's up true. even from an interview, right? Even yeah. an interview is kind of a special situation, but, yeah. you know, just having that Skype call and of course doing that research proposal, as you said, it was nothing like, you know, what you ended up doing, um, <laughs> but that certainly sets you up in the mindset and, you know, from a kind of, um, from a recruiter perspective, from that professor's perspective, you know, that's exactly what they want to see, that kind of initiative yeah. to yeah. to do a research proposal. You know, I didn't do that. You know, again, I just applied to it straight. <laughs> and I guess that's kind of the more, traditional route to application and so you know as I did um, you know I sent in my CV and a personal cover letter right mm. a personal statement yeah and you know certainly um, having been a research fellow at Coventry now you know I've been involved in admittedly it was only one PhD student recruitment <laughs> so I've uh, you know been on that other side of the table you know as a recruiter um, and certainly you know I can say that when we look for a student, what we're looking for is really someone who has that kind of good time management skill, right? Mm. A PhD is really that kind of self-motivated time management. We want to see initiative and, and particularly curiosity to learn. Because again, you know, it's an academic position. It's something where um, it, 
you know, by definition, it's going to be something that no one's done before, right? Mm. You're going to be filling a gap. And so to see that curiosity and initiative and again, someone who can bounce ideas off of and have a conversation, you know, those are actually the core skills. And it's, I guess, yeah, in, certainly in user research, we're not as bothered whether they have kind of specific experience in certain yeah. types of methods. Because you get training, right? You can get yeah. training throughout your PhD. You can you learn just, that stuff. I think you just have to show that you're aware that you don't know, uh, don't have yeah. the skills yet, but that you know how you will get these skills by doing trainings and all of that. That's right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Show that awareness, show that keen, uh, keenness mm. to learn. You know, and, and again, that's those are the sorts. If you're wondering if you have the skills for the PhD, well, if you have that, then that's exactly what they want to see. Mm. Um, and of course, you know, this sort of what happens next after sending in your CV or in your case, the research proposal mm. and things um, differs from university to university. But typically you get invi invited for an interview um, and they may even ask you to do a presentation, right? Mm. Yeah, so I had, yeah, I had an interview with a presentation and I don't know how you, I think, yeah, every interview will be very different, but I was quite surprised. I, I was thinking I probably will have to justify my self-loads for changing my career path and not having a research background. But I think because I handed in this proposal, the interview was very yeah. much focused yeah. on the topic, really, that they were kind of questioning on challenging me. So um, tell us, like, how would you um, go about answering this research question? What do you think is the problem? with that what what is the challenge and um yeah i don't know how was your interview like yeah i guess Can mine was because i didn't have that research proposal it was more like a job interview you know they mm -hmm. asked the kind of cliche questions you know like oh what's your biggest mistake and you know, <laughs> what would you like to be doing in five years time mm -hmm. um you know the kind of standard career type questions but i think that's really a good you know advert for how you did it because you know again from a recruiter perspective you know by doing the research proposal you've kind of shown that you have that initiative and all those skills they want to see and it can just kind of almost become your first supervisor meeting right mm. in that interview so i think it's a really a useful yeah. tip and um and yeah these are the you know preparing for the interview also you know prepare the kind of traditional type of interview questions uh, but also you know thinking about how you would answer um, the kind of project that you're going to be working on mm. and I think another thing that I, I didn't um, think about back then when I had my PhD interview was that the interview is not only there for the recruiter to yeah, find out whether yeah. you are good fit f for them but it's also the interview is also there for you to find out is this person someone I can work with is this really a topic that I'm interested in you get a good vibe from <laughs> that interview yeah. atmosphere yeah. um so i think yeah really use um that interview opportunity to ask all of your questions that you have that shows that you're interested that you're really involved but also helps you to figure out is that really what you want to do for the next three two four years 100 and of course there are some Uh, in addition to that, some really practical things, you know, um, will there be money for publishing, mm. right? Publishing is really, um, it's not a requirement in most theses, it's certainly not in the in the UK, um, but, you know, it's good, it's a good thing. And so, mm. you know, what's the, what's the budget for um, publishing? What's the budget for conferences? Um, mm. And of course, you know, on a kind of personal level, you know, what's the postgraduate researcher community like, you know, mm. um, speaking from our experience at Warwick you know they had many different events to try and um, get PGRs to socialize with each other mm. um, but it but it sets up a good vibe yeah. you know it, it sets up a kind of reassurance that you'll meet new people yeah. and you know that's how we met right <laughs> through that first year mm -hmm. um, and it, I think that's yeah 
asking questions around what's the community like, what's the kind of pastoral support, what's all the support networks that exist. That's all really important as well. Yeah, I just remembered one thing as well that recently someone contacted me on LinkedIn, actually, um, someone who was applying for a PhD and had their interview and she was saying like, you have my interview tomorrow. Um, can you give me any tips? And have you heard like the interviews with this um, person, this professor? Have you heard about them? Are they good to work with? And I think, yeah, if you have the opportunity, go on social media or um, yeah, if you know people that are at the university, ask them, how is it like? To, to be a student there because that gives you a good indication as well I think um, whether you like it or, or not yeah I think nothing is more honest than mm. actual student feedback and you know nowadays every academic is on Twitter so you can get quite a lot of info about yeah. them or yeah. kind of how they speak and the kinds of work that yeah. they do from there as well and of course that can be something you bring into the interview you can even say oh you know I saw that tweet that you posted or that paper that you published um, mm. recently I thought that was really interesting yeah that's exactly what academics yeah. want to hear I think there was one final thing that we didn't mention before but another kind of pathway into a PhD is oh, to do yeah, a research yeah. assistant role before right so um, if you are not you can't maybe find a PhD position or you're not 100% sure do you want to do a PhD or not um, you can also have a look for research assistant roles I know quite a few people and I think you do as well yeah um, I, I think so essentially these are roles which are not academic roles but you're effectively a researcher within the department mm. right and um yeah we as, as you said we know quite a lot of people who come you know they came in in this research assistant role and then you know they spent six months in that position and then funding was available and you know again essentially when that funding is available you'll be put kind of first on that list to, to to take it because you know they've already worked with you so mm. yeah that's a good point that we didn't mention is that yeah because looking for research assistant roles is 100% a pathway into a PhD role as mm. well and also it will give you that time to sort of see is research the right thing for you before committing to an actual mm. PhD um, which is uh, which is always a very nice thing yeah that's so, right I think and yeah we covered quite a lot hopefully or hopefully I think what we want to do is really encourage you if you're thinking about a PhD already then just try it go for it <laughs> apply for it and um, use the resources that we mentioned I think we're going to post them online the links that we talked about um, and yeah don't be shy to um, change your career path there are loads of opportunities and yeah hopefully that was helpful for you <laughs> So that brings us to the end of our kind of first special edition of How to PhD. Um, you know, just again to those listeners who got in touch and then sort of inspired us to talk about this area. Uh, thanks again for your feedback. We love to hear from you. And of course, if there are any listeners who have any other suggestions for content that they would like us to cover, please do get in touch. You know, we always love hearing from you. Uh, and the ways you can get in touch is through our email, which is contact at howtophd.com. Dot show and of course you can get in touch with us over the dms or tagging us on twitter and instagram which our handle is at how to phd show and of course you know julia mentioned all the resources and all the links as always all the show notes will be at our website at www.howtophd.show and of course a final request from us is please leave a review if you enjoy the show if you enjoy what we're doing um please leave a review on apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to the show on it always helps us to know that we're doing something well and of course we love reading your feedback our next 
regular, or our next episode is going to be more on the kind of regular practical tips for your PhD. And Julia, it's going to be a big one, right? Yeah, it's about um, the Viva, or I think also called defense in other countries. Mm, yeah. Um, and yeah, we're going to give you a complete guide on the whole process. Um, so hopefully that will be something interesting for you yeah plenty of stuff that we've learned from having done ours so i think that's everything thank you so much for tuning into this special episode of how to phd take care and we'll see you all next week